Oh, oh well, we're going to get started. So I want to invite you to turn your Bible to First John. And we're going to go through First John uh, as a church. If you didn't receive an outline, lift your hand up and we will make sure you get one. Those are free of charge to you. It is great to be with you. First John, first John, uh, five chapters. If you don't know where first John is, just go to Revelation. Go back a few books to the left. You'll find it. It's one of those very small books. If you don't have a Bible, there's one around you uh, in a seat underneath the seat in front of you or maybe underneath you. We highly recommend you follow along. Um, we're one of those uh, weird churches that uses our Bible. Right. I mean, you know, we're, we're Christians and so we use our Bible. You guys are a hard audience this morning, man. Was it the video? You know, I just got to say, when Dave Held texts you at eight o'clock Saturday night and tells you they have a video for the next morning, you never know what to expect. You never know. I personally think Abigail was the star of that entire thing. She was awesome. But so, uh, yeah, so prayer is this Friday night, uh, 630. I, I encourage you to come out. Um, I, I have a lot of people tell me, well, I don't know how to pray. Or I don't pray very well, or those are typically things that I hear. Well, um, when I was in the military, we, uh, we had to do sit-ups. And everybody would say, well, I don't do sit-ups very well, you know. And the message they always gave us was, the way you learn to do sit-ups is by doing sit-ups. There's no other exercise that you can do to learn how to do sit-ups better than just doing sit-ups. It's the same with prayer. The way you learn how to pray is by praying. The way you learn what your Bible says is by reading your Bible, which is why we talk about this a lot at this church. Read your Bible. It's amazing how many Christians don't know what the Bible says, but they say they're a Christian. Are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Okay, well, why? Well, I go to a Christian church. Okay. Not knowing what the Bible says, how do you know if you're a Christian or not? How do you know why you're a Christian or what you believe or what a Christian believes? So it's the same thing with anything. If you want to learn how to pray, you have to come pray. And maybe you're not very good at it. Maybe, you know, you don't really do it a lot or you're learning. Well, come and watch other people do it and then step out and try to do it yourself. And best way to do it is with friends. So that is Friday night. How are we doing? Are we on? We are on Facebook Live. Awesome. So so Tom and Chris can never go away again. This is the last time they will ever go away on a Sunday because it's just too much for me. So everybody at First John. Awesome. Let's pray and we'll get right into this this morning. Father, we thank you so much for uh, the freedom of worship. We thank you, Lord, that we have musicians who play music and we sing. And when we sing and worship, Lord, your word tells us that you sing with us. You come in um, in the middle of us and sing and you just love to be worshipped. And we thank you for your word, Lord. Your word is clear and true. And we are your people. We want to learn to be like you. And so this morning, as we begin to study this book of First John, we ask that you would uh, through your Holy Spirit, teach us and guide us and help us, Lord, to learn in Jesus name. Everybody said amen. amen. So this week we're going to do kind of like this overview of the book. And um, if you've never read through First John, it's a pretty easy read. It's five chapters long. You probably do it in an afternoon. Easy. And uh, so I encourage you maybe to read through it a few times. You will know First John by the time we get done with this series, because we're going to go into some detail in this great book. All right. But I wanted to just give you some overview of what this book is about and some details. And then next week, we're going to actually start going through scripture, the verses. OK, so let's talk about, first of all, some facts. All right. Now, first of all, when you read first John, you see that it's a very practical book. 
It's a very hands-on book. It's, it's, a, it's a book that talks about what does it mean to be a Christian and what does a Christian look like? That's why it's such a valuable book in the Bible. It gives us the details about what does it look like to live like a Christian. Okay. Now, one thing we notice right away is it lacks the typical greeting of a letter. If you read Paul's letters to Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, you see a greeting. I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus, writing to you Christians in Ephesus or you in Colossus or something like that. It's a typical greeting. Hey, how you doing? We're good. And then he goes on with the information. But first John is different. It doesn't have that. So it leads people to believe that it's maybe a pamphlet. There's a thought that it's a pamphlet written by a pastor sent out to these churches that he leads in Asia Minor. And so it's basically, think of it like a brochure or a little teaching. It's not a letter. It's just this pamphlet that goes out. All right. Now, a lot of scholars believe that it's a continuation of John's gospel, the gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Well, John's gospel is about how do you become a Christian? And like I said, first John seems to be this continuation of now that you are a Christian, what does it look like to live like one? All right. So there's a lot of debate about what this actually what this pamphlet is about and who wrote it and all those things. We're going to talk about that this morning. All right. Now, here's something interesting. It's written in simple Greek. Obviously, you have an English translation, but the actual original language is simple Greek. And what do I mean by that? This is like Ebonics Greek. All right. This is like Greek on the street. Everybody would have gotten it. Two of you got that joke. Thank you so much. You guys are alive this morning. It's like basic everyday Greek. Now, why is that important? Okay, because the the belief is that it was written for the everyday person, the everyday Joe on the street who would have gotten. How do I live a Christian life? They didn't need to be a scholar, didn't need to have all this training. They simply were going to get this basic. In fact, if you ever go to college and take Greek. In your second semester, you're going to translate First John. That's how basic it is. You don't have to know a lot about Greek to translate First John. And that's going to mean something as we read this book together, as we read this pamphlet together. So remember these things that we're talking about this morning. All right. So it's simple Greek. It's a pamphlet. And it looks like it's a continuation of John's gospel. Now, talking about John's gospel, who wrote it? Well, Yeah, tradition says John. And there's reasons why most scholars believe John, Jesus' disciple, wrote this. There's reasons why it's called. Now, remember, it wasn't called 1 John when it was sent out. It's not like he wrote 1 John at the top and then wrote this pamphlet. That's what we have labeled it in our Bible. Okay, but there's reasons to believe that John, Jesus' disciple, wrote it. And I want to share a little bit of those with you so that you can see why things are in your Bible. It shouldn't just be this book of dusty old rules that you don't get there's life in this and there's reasons why these are real people all right so here's why they say john wrote it first of all the author claims in first john that he is an eyewitness to jesus look looking right at the beginning of first john in chapter one verse one that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. And he does this several times. He says, listen, I'm not making something up here, people. I'm talking about something I saw with my own two eyes. I heard it with my ears. I touched it. I know what I'm talking about. So he claims to be an eyewitness. Well, there's only 500 or so of them. You know, that we're walking with Jesus. So it narrows it down a little bit. 
Okay. Something else we know is that the style of writing in the Greek is very similar to John's gospel. The vocabulary used. You wouldn't know this unless you know Greek. But the, the words John in his gospel uses certain Greek words in certain situations. And in first John, he does the same thing. OK, unlike Matthew or Mark or Paul, that's why they're saying this is probably John's pamphlet. He doesn't say who it is. He doesn't introduce himself. He doesn't name himself. But it probably makes sense that John wrote this. All right. Another thing is there are other sources that tell us John wrote this. OK, there was a pastor named Irenaeus in the second century. All right. He wrote a letter to his church and in it he said that John wrote first John second century. This is like from 100 to 200 A.D. This is pretty close to the original. All right. So that's one way we have another one is a man named Eusebius. Eusebius, if you don't know who that is, he was a church historian in the fourth century and he wrote a history of the church, this mammoth work about the church from Jesus on through to his current day. He said that he agrees with Irenaeus that John wrote first John. Okay. Also, there's something called the Muratorian fragments. What this is, is it's fragments of papyrus we found that are from the second century and they're a list of the Bible, list of the books of the Bible. Maybe you don't even know these things exist, but they exist. And in the Muratorian fragments, it says John wrote first John. So we have all these sources that confirm what we probably know anyway, and that is John, Jesus' disciple, wrote first John. So what do we know so far? We know it was a pamphlet. Okay. It was sent out to these churches in Asia Minor. All right. We know that it was a, a it's a continuation. It's about how to live the Christian life. You want to know how to be a Christian in everyday life? This is where we want to go. All right. And it also is in simple everyday Greek. So it's written for the everyday uneducated person to get. And then we know that it probably is written by John, Jesus' disciple, to all his churches that he had founded. All right. Everybody with me so far? All right. Now, when was it written? What's the date of this letter or pamphlet? Okay. We don't really know exactly, as in everything. It's not like he wrote, this is January 14th, you know, 2017. He didn't say that. But we do have clues, once again, and I want to show you the clues that tell us when this pamphlet was probably written. If we know it was written by John, John wrote his gospel in the year 85. Okay? Jesus had gone to heaven in around 30-something. So 50 years after Jesus had left and the church was formed, John writes his gospel. Now, why did John write his gospel? I'm going to tell you why. John was the last disciple to live. Okay, some of them were were beheaded and and martyred, but John lived to be a ripe old man, hundred years old. All right, he was the last surviving eyewitness alive. Okay, and he's living in Ephesus. He's pastoring all these churches in Asia Minor, which is where Ephesus is, and he's starting to realize he's getting to the end of his life. And Mark had already written his gospel from Peter's teaching. Matthew had already written his gospel. Luke wrote his from for Theophilus. So John is like, I'm the last living witness now. I need to write down what I saw so that it doesn't get lost. So he writes his gospel in the year 85 A.D. All right. Now, John has a disciple named Polycarp. Okay, Polycarp pastors a church in the second century in the city of Smyrna. All right. And Polycarp writes a letter to the Philippians. Same thing Paul did. And in that letter, he quotes first John. He writes his letter in around 110, 117. They're not sure, but somewhere around there. So John writes his gospel in 85. Polycarp quotes from first John 
in year, let's say, 117. So we know that First John is written somewhere in that gap of about 30 years. Does that make sense how they figure this out? It's not like they're just guessing here and saying, oh, this looks good. There are things that we can use as to study as historians to say this is probably when it was right in that time frame. All right. So we know that it was a pamphlet written by John to his churches in Asia Minor, all the churches he had helped plant, written in a 30-year period between 85 and 117. Okay, Now, John died in 100, so we can even narrow it down further. So basically, we're looking at the turn of the second century. All right. Now, maybe you're like, whoa, that's way more information than I even imagined. But I want you, the reason I share that with you is because I don't want you to read this like it's some archaic book that you dusted off your coffee table. Hey, I'm going to read the word. You know, this is a real people writing real things to other real people. And we believe the Holy Spirit is in those words. When we study them together, we are studying those words that are inspired by God. So John, as we're going to see, has a reason for writing this pamphlet. All right. A couple other things for you. There we go. This was called Codex Sinaiticus. Okay, anybody ever read it? Heard of it? Okay, great. Probably not. It's in Greek. Okay, it's the old, it's the first complete copy of the Bible that we have, and it's the first complete copy of First John that we have. It's from like the 330s. Okay, so about you know 100, 250 years after John wrote his original, we have this copy of it. It's housed in London. Okay, I'm showing it to you because I want you to understand what it is that we have to go on now. Now, it's not like we have nothing to go on from the original to 330. We have fragments, lots of fragments. We have quotes from people. So we know what John wrote. Here's the earliest fragment we have. It's called P9, and it's actually housed a couple hours north of here in Harvard. And it's from first John chapter four, verses 12 and 13 on one side and chapter four, verses 15 through 17 on the back side. All right. This is the oldest. This is about the year 250. Okay. So 100 years or so after John wrote his original, we have all these pieces of this book. So what we're reading, and that's actually quite new in antiquity. Most ancient writings, the copies we have are like a thousand years later. We have within 100 years the copy of the original first John. So what you're reading, it's not like we're guessing here. We know this is what these words said. They're quoting it. Different church fathers quoted it. We have close to the originals. We have complete copies. So what you're reading here, you can be confident. These are the actual words of John. Make sense? Great. Everybody alive? Say, whoop, whoop. There you go. All right. So now, why, why did John write this? Why did John write this pamphlet? And this is the important part I want you to get this morning. Why did John write this pamphlet? Well, unlike today... A lot of people disagreed back then. See, back then, people would get on this thing called Facebook and they would argue with each other about everything under the sun. Okay, now, so back then they had false teachers. And what this wasn't like people that were purposefully trying to be false. It was people who disagreed with things and they would start spreading this other perspective and it would get people off of what Jesus actually said. All right. Now, remember, John's an eyewitness. That's important. He's not going on hearsay. He was there physically when this happened. He heard Jesus do this. He heard Jesus say these things and do these things. All right. So in the early church, 
false teacher was a, teachers was a big problem. Within a hundred years after Jesus, there were so many different perspectives out there. People were getting all confused and they were fighting about stuff. And John remembers an old man. He's getting ready to end his life. And he's like, listen, I care about these churches I've planted of these young Christians. And I want them to grow and mature and make other Christians because that's the point. So he says, there's all these false teachings going on. I need to clarify for them what a real Christian looks like. I need to spell it out in the most basic language I can so that there's no argument because I heard Jesus say these things. I'm not teaching by my mind. I was there and I heard it. And I'm the last one that can say that. All right. So what were the false teachings? Gnosticism. Gnosticism is a major second century false teaching. And I'm going to teach you a little bit about it this morning because you have to know what Gnosticism is about in order to understand first John. When John is talking and writing, he's dealing with Gnosticism. Okay. What was happening was these Gnostics were starting to get into the young churches that he had planted and they were leading people astray and people were fighting and they were all confused because the Gnostic teaching sounded logical and john's going no 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 and i'm old and i don't have a lot of time left i've got to get this straight for you people all right so what is gnosticism first of all it's from the greek word gnosis which means knowledge all right it's from the greek word gnosis which means knowledge and i'm going to tell you what the gnostics believe now first of all if you had met a gnostic in second century he would have defined himself as a christian They wouldn't have said, I'm a Gnostic. That was what other people called them. They believed they were the true Christians. They were the people who really got what Jesus was about. Now, when I tell you what the Gnostics believe, you're going to be like, whoa, these people were crazy. But this was a widespread belief. This was not pockets. Overwhelmingly, a bunch of people believe this. So much that John had to write a pamphlet to clear it up for his churches that were starting to buy into this stuff. Now, what did the Gnostics believe? Keep it simple. They believe there were two gods. One is a good God and he's spirit. One is a bad, evil God and he's material. He made the world. He created the earth. He made the the material world. Okay. Obviously, that includes the Old Testament Yahweh, the Old Testament version of God, right? That he made the world. So for Gnostics, Yahweh in the Old Testament God is evil. All right. Now, they believe that humans were imprisoned in this material world by this evil God. Wigged out yet? Yeah, you're like, man, who would believe this stuff? You'd be surprised what, you know, maybe a thousand years from now, they'll say the same thing about people in our day. So this evil God makes this evil world all material And he traps humans in it. In fact, they believe that in the garden, when the serpent came up and tried to talk to Eve, the serpent was trying to help them, trying to rescue them from this evil God. So they believe that they have teachers that have secret knowledge that can help you as a human being get free from this evil God and embrace the real good God of the spirit. Okay, that's why Gnosis, Gnosticism. Okay, you can only get it from their teachers. Can't get it from any other church. Can't you ever heard that before? You can't get it from this direction. You have to come to their church, their conference, read their books. You have to do their stuff in order to get the secret teaching in order for you to get free. Now, where does Jesus come into this? 
Okay, because this stuff didn't start with Christianity. It existed before that. They taught that Jesus was sent by the good spirit God to the earth to destroy the, the evil God material and rescue humans back from their imprisonment. They use biblical lingo to teach it. They use Old Testament scripture. If you don't know your Bible back then, you'd be like, man, that, that kind of sounds interesting. They believe that Jesus was a divine spirit. He came to earth. He didn't really take on a body. It was all a mirage. So, so they believe that he was God, but not man. He didn't really become a man. Here's what's interesting. In our day, people struggle with the opposite. Most people don't argue that Jesus was a real man that existed. There's historical data to support it. But most people struggle nowadays to believe he was God. Well, back then it was the opposite. They had no problem believing Jesus was God. But him being a man, well, that was a challenge. Now, if you just leave it there, you're like, well, you know, I can see the similarities in Christianity in that. That's part of the ploy. And I don't understand what the big deal is. Well, let's break it down a little bit further. If Jesus is a divine spirit, not physical, if he didn't really have a body, if it was all just a mirage, then he can't go to the cross. And, and the Gnostics said, how can you kill God? God is spirit. That's a lie from the material evil God. So the cross didn't happen. He didn't really die on the cross. Now, remember, this is a 100 years later. It's not like hardly anybody was there. They're going on what someone told them, except for John. So the Gnostics are like, he didn't really die on a cross. If he didn't die on a cross, then he didn't really get buried. That's all not true. And if he didn't get buried, he didn't rise from the dead because you can't kill God in the first place. That's all a lie from the evil God because he is spirit. All right. So if you start believing that stuff, you're buying into the lie. See why John is a little concerned with this. And Christians are buying into it. His churches are splitting down the middle because people are going, yeah, well, you know, that that kind of makes sense. That kind of jives with what you're saying. I get it. And so they're starting to buy into it. Churches starting to fight. So John writes this pamphlet to these churches. Now, Irenaeus, remember that second century pastor, he said that one of the reasons John wrote his gospel, the gospel of John, was to refute these Gnostics, this teaching that's out there that I just briefly explained to you. It's widespread. Now, check out this. Here's some proof of this. In John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. You hear what John's saying here? He's saying, Gnostics, you're crazy. The word came from the father and it became flesh. Jesus was flesh. He wasn't a mirage. He wasn't just a spirit. He was actually a human being walking the earth. That's what John, he's speaking to these Gnostics. Look in first John. Look in chapter two. Kids are excited downstairs. Verse 22. Who is the liar? John does not know political correctness. I'm going to warn you right now. He did not take a sensitivity class before he wrote this pamphlet. He was more interested in truth. So over the next couple of months, as we go through this book, you're going to be like, whoa, man, if I said that at my job, I would be fired. OK, so John is serious here. Verse 22. Who is the liar? 
It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. John is speaking once again to the Gnostics, saying anyone who denies that Jesus is the Messiah, come in the flesh from God the Father, is the Antichrist. He's a liar. Being quite serious here. Turn over to chapter 4 in 1 John. We're going to go all this through in detail as the weeks come up, but I'm just giving you an overview. Look at verse 2. This is how you can recognize, chapter 4, verse 2. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Therefore, every spirit that doesn't acknowledge Jesus came in the flesh is not from God. That's what John's saying here to the Gnostics. He's saying, listen, and remember, he's writing this to his churches. He's clarifying for them. Listen, that kind of belief is toxic. It's not what happened. And I was there. I can prove it. Now. Paul. Wrote a letter, two letters to Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor dealing with this kind of stuff we're talking about, probably in his own church. Look what Paul says to Timothy. First Timothy, chapter six, verse 20 and 21. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. Gnosticism. Which some have professed and in doing, in so doing, have departed from the faith. Paul's even dealing with this. He says, Timothy, be on guard. These people that claim they've got this secret knowledge and they're coming into your church and they're infiltrating it and they're getting people all confused and they're even causing some of them to leave away from what they were taught about Jesus. So this is a major issue of the second century. It's amazing to me how many Christians today have no idea this happened, no idea what we're talking about right now. You're learning what is the point of why John is writing this stuff. Now, Gnostics also believed in salvation. But they believe that salvation did not come by Jesus dying on a cross and receiving it by faith. They believe that salvation came when you gained this secret knowledge they had. And then you can learn to to uh, uh, be free from the material world. Now, when they say be free from the material world, they believe the material world was evil. Therefore, they would beat themselves and they would have all these wrong teachings about, you know, the material and around and earth and all that stuff. But they also had no problem. You can do whatever you want to do because the material and the earth and sin and all that, that's all a lie from the evil God. So they have this teaching. If it feels good, do it. If if you want to do it, do it. There's no such thing as sin. There's no such thing as you. If it's pleasurable, enjoy yourself. I mean, you're free. You're You're free. You have this secret knowledge. Now you're free from the evil world and the evil God. So therefore, if you want to do whatever you want to do, have a blast. Does that sound familiar? See, you start learning about these ancient teachings and you find out there's not so ancient. They just keep coming around in circles in a cycle. Amen. So the Gnostic teachers infiltrate the churches. And they're starting to spread all this. False teaching, using scripture, confusing people. John is not dealing with this in a polite way. When we read this letter, this pamphlet, you're going to find out he's upset about this. He calls these false teachers antichrists, deceivers, 
liars. He's not false prophets. He's not dealing with them politely in a political correct way. He understands that he's got a lot of young Christians who are looking up to him and they're listening to this lie and they're getting led astray. So he says, I have to deal with this head on. So I'm going to write this pamphlet and it's going to all these churches. They're all going to hear this final message from me. Now, throughout the pamphlet, John teaches us about Christianity and he teaches. He says there's basically four purposes that I've written this letter. Number one, I wrote it so that I can have joy in my old age. I know that you have been taught and told the right way to live. I wrote it so that you can know what holiness is, so you can know what it looks like to live for God the right way. Not the way these Gnostics are teaching where sin doesn't matter. It's a big, huge thing, and I want you to understand this. I wrote it so you can have correct doctrine. You can know exactly what it means to be a Christian. We need this in our churches today, guys, because so many Christians have no idea why they're Christians. But John would have said, listen, that's crazy. You need to know exactly what it means to be a Christian and what it looks like to be a Christian. And he said he wrote it so that you can be sure of your salvation. You can know that you have been saved. So he he teaches about the teachings of Jesus and he teaches about how Jesus transforms our lives from within. All right. Now. He teaches and I'm giving you a generic overview. He teaches that we can know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. That's what John's going to teach us in his pamphlet. You can know who Jesus is. You can know in your knower what Jesus has done. He said he teach, he's going to teach that we can embrace the fact that Jesus loves us, that we are loved and we are special and we are valuable to him. Because remember, he was there. He was an eyewitness. Right? He's going to teach that we can share in the fellowship between God and man by having fellowship with each other. So John is going to talk a lot about church and about living together in in community and about embracing what Jesus taught and about looking like a Christian and living like a Christian. Now, he also directs his pamphlet primarily to inform someone that they can know that they are a Christian and that this is what a Christian looks like in action. Now, he breaks down this transformation into three categories. I think I put them on your sheet, but I put them up here for you. First one is theological transformation. John says, when you meet Jesus, when you give your life to Jesus, when you say, I believe Jesus is who he said he is. I believe the Bible's true. I receive him as my Lord. I surrender my life to him. No longer am I going to pursue my goals. I'm going to pursue his goals for my life. That you go through a theological transformation. He says you have to go through this in order to be a Christian. Remember, he's dealing with people that are being taught all this other stuff. So he says, here's how you know you're a Christian. Number one, you went through a theological transformation. He, and he asked them this question, and you ask yourself this. Do you believe that Jesus is the eternal God who became a man? Do you believe that? Well, that's step one to being a Christian. I can't tell you as a pastor for 20 plus years now, how many people come up to me and they'll be telling me about how miserable their life is and how bad things are and, and all this stuff, and, or maybe they're not, and I'll say, why well, are you a Christian? Well, yeah. Okay. Um, when? Well, you know, I mean, I went to church a couple times. So, do you believe? Do you believe what Jesus said? Oh, sure. Okay. Well, what did he say? Well, didn't he say to like give 
gifts on December 25th? Didn't he say something like that? They don't know. So John says, in order to be a Christian, first of all, you have to know. You have to answer that question. Do you believe Jesus is who he said he was? Jesus didn't mince words. He said, nobody can get to the Father except through me. Nobody. There's no other way. There's no other path. There's no other answer. I'm the only one. Jesus said, you have to receive me in order to get to heaven. So John would say, if he were standing up here in my place, he'd say, have you done that? Do you believe that? Do you receive that transformation? When you say, I believe that, a transformation begins to happen inside of you. Holy Spirit begins to get involved. The second way, second thing that happens is a moral transformation. This is what John says. He says, in order to be a Christian, you have to answer this question. Do you admit that you are a sinner and want to stop sinning and live like Jesus? This is not rocket science, my friends. Do you admit that you were doing dumb stuff before and you're going to stop doing those now that you're a Christian? That's PK's translation of that. Once again, I can't tell you how many people I meet who are out living any way they want to on the weekend, Friday night. Then by Sunday morning, they come in all hung over. Oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. There's no such thing. That's called religion hypocrisy. John would stand up here and say, that's not real. When you become a Christian, you make the decision to stop living that way. I'm not living like the world anymore. I'm not living like people who do not believe. I'm living a different life. I begin a moral transformation. This takes time. You know, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall down. You're going to stumble. You're going to do things like that. I told you before about when I first became a Christian as a teenager, I had to learn how to stop swearing because I was good at it. I've told you that before, man. I was a professional swearer. I was. I was good. I mean, I learned from the best. I had to learn how to not do that. Now, if I believed what some people believe today, I'd be like, yeah, hey, you know, I can, I'll talk like this with my other friends who don't really know I'm a Christian. And then when I get to church, I'll talk different way. I'll say hallelujah a lot and, you know, talk that Christian talk, you know. See, I was taught different. Bill, I'm telling the truth, buddy. I was taught different. I was taught you can't have this and that. So, see, when the transformation began to happen inside of me, I no longer wanted to talk like that. But it didn't happen overnight. There were times where I would be mad. You guys ever get mad? I would, I would get angry at something and it would just with the spit that I just spat all over the stage. It would just come out. And I would, oh man, and I'd get all guilty. Why you do that? I'm sorry, God. Please don't let me do that again. I'm ready. Hour later, and here it goes again, you know. But through time, through constant, in the Word, going to church, learning, a transformation began to happen inside of me. And here I am, 30 years later, you can't get me to talk like that. It's not inside of me anymore. It just doesn't come out anymore. It's not like I have to guard my mouth anymore. It just doesn't come out. It's not there. There's been a transformation. So if you're new in this, don't give in to the lie that you can live this way and still call yourself a Christian. Because you ain't. Yeah, man, I tell you, John is going to be honest. You, you, you have to believe Jesus is who he said he is. And you have to believe that you, he wants you to stop living that way. And you have to stop. 
You have to make effort. You have to stop doing those things. You may have to disassociate with some people who are dragging you down the wrong way. You may have to cancel your Facebook account if you can't control your fingers typing. You may have to do those things. I had a pastor one time tell me, you want to know someone's life with Jesus? Go look in their video cabinet. Back then it was a VCR cabinet, but it's different now. But you know, Go look, uh, Lacey, these were things that they put, movies, they would play them. Look on your download device, right? <laughs> but that's what he's saying. He's saying, you want to know what the real walk with Jesus is? Don't look at him on Sunday morning when all the Christians are together. Hey, hallelujah. You know, Look at him on Friday night when they're at home and they think no one's watching. What do they put on the television? One time I was in college and I was in Christian music school and... I was Amy and I, we lived in this little town in Illinois and we were going to see a movie in the movie theater in Illinois, dollar movies. It had a downstairs and an upstairs. The upstairs was the stuff that Christians shouldn't go to. The downstairs was the more family oriented stuff. So Amy and I are going to the downstairs because we were holy and we're coming in. This is no lie. Amy, you can verify. We were coming into the movie and one of my professors from my Christian college comes downstairs from the movie living out from upstairs. And you know what I thought? What a faker. What a faker. And it was hard to even receive anything from him all in college anymore because he was faking it. That's not real. I'm not standing up here judging people. I'm saying John says that's not real. Real Christians start saying no to the things they used to do before they became a Christian. That's kind of the point. You awake? All right. One more. One more. Social transformation. Social transformation. John says, if you're going to be a Christian, you need to go through social transformation. He says, ask yourself this question. Do you receive God's love and love him and other Christians? Do you love other people? I can't tell you how many mean Christians I've met in my day. I can't tell you how many people are like, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And then someone takes their parking lot at Walmart, their parking spot at Walmart. And suddenly they're like turning into the demon from hell or something, right? Ah, you know, John would say, if you're a Christian, you're loving people. You're loving unlovable people. You should have this love inside of you for other people to where you're not trying to hurt people. You're not using people. You're not trying to scam people. You're trying to help people. You're part of the solution, not part of the problem. John would say, that's how you know you're a Christian. John would say, don't make excuses. Don't toe the fence where you're one day you're a Christian, one day you're not. John would say, that's not real. That's fake. He's writing this to Christians who have all these teachings coming in. He says, listen, I have to explain it to you in basic language that everybody gets so that you understand exactly what a Christian looks like. So for John, you become a Christian when you admit I believe Jesus is exactly who he said he is. I go through a theological transformation. I understand who God is. It's a progress, but I make a choice. Number two, a moral transformation. I choose not to do the things I used to do before. This needs to be taught in churches. Brian, am I right, man? This needs to be taught in churches, man. Too many churches are out there saying, hey, do whatever you want. As long as we have lasers and smoke machine, we're good. You know, listen, real Christianity is about a transformation. Amen. So starting next week, we're going to go through this verse by verse by verse, and you will be a First John expert when we're done. All right? Everybody stand up.
Man, I got to tell you what, I would rather teach from the Bible than anything else. And if you agree with me, you are in the right place. So, Stuart, come on up, my man. Stuart's going to pray and close us this morning. If you need prayer, Stuart and Lisa are here. They will pray with you. Stuart's one of our elders. And um, so we are going to, Friday night, we're going to be here praying. 6.30, come out. Don't be lazy. All right? And then next Sunday, we're going to be here as well. All right? Good, Stu. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I just pray a blessing over my brothers and sisters today. Thank you, Father, that we're receiving a teaching today. And, and there's been this belief in us already that is, is, is taking us deeper. That when we're a Christian and we say we're a Christian, we're a Christian. And it changes us. There's nothing else we can do. You will automatically not do certain things that you used to do. It, it, when you truly believe, when you truly submit and give yourself over, it'll be easy. Like, well, not easy. It doesn't happen overnight. It's like PK said, some things, some things don't happen overnight. It takes work, but it takes seeking God at a personal level and seeking the Holy Spirit that can guide us. I just praise you, Lord, and thank you for, that this is happening here at Living Word Fellowship and that we're encouraging one another. And we're going to build on that in 2017. And we're going to see these things come to pass in our lives. I just pray a blessing over them for this week to just be in the word, to be in the spirit, to do the things that we're called to do as Christians and put aside the things that we don't do as Christians. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week, peeps.